Section twenty one of the Wit and Humor of America, Volume Nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. Evan Anderson's Poker Party by Benjamin Stevenson. Evan Anderson called you up this afternoon said mrs tom porter laying down the evening paper is his wife still away yes i think she is what did he want he did not say but he said for you to call him as soon as you came home i forgot to tell you mrs porter paused and fingered her paper with embarrassment tom she began again if it is another of those men parties he has been having since his wife has been away, I wish you wouldn't go. Why not, dear? I don't think they're very nice. Don't they drink a good deal? Some men will drink a good deal anyway, any time, but those that don't want to do not. Tom, do they? Mrs. Porter's eyes were on the paper in her lap. Do they play? play poker what what made you ask me that question tom answered with some embarrassment mrs bob miller said her husband told her they did nobody but mrs miller would believe all that bob says but you know it is wicked to gamble of course it is to gamble for any amount but just a little game of amusement that's not bad how much does anyone win or lose oh just a few dollars that will buy a dinner for several poor families that need it but the worst of it is the principle it is gambling no matter how little is lost or won but dear you brought home a ten dollar plate from a card party the other afternoon that is different one is you cry the other is poker i see the difference but wouldn't a plate have bought a few dinners yes but if i had not won it someone else would and it was too late to spend it for charity i don't believe it cost ten dollars anyway you said then it would but i have looked it over since and do not believe it is genuine I should think anyone would be ashamed to give an imitation, she added with something like a flash in her blue eyes. It was a shame, Tom admitted, a ten-dollar strain for a two-dollar plate. But Mrs. Porter merely raised her eyebrows at this rather mean remark. The Tad Wallington dances tonight, isn't it? Do you want to go to that? Tom asked. No. I'm not going. If you do, Tom went on, I will take you and cut out whatever Evan wants. No, I don't care to, she repeated. You can go to the other if you want to. I am not going to say any more on the subject. I do not ask you to humor my little whims, but I wanted to say what I did before you telephoned. Mrs. Porter looked at her husband with such a wistful, pathetic little smile that Tom came over and kissed her on the cheek. "'I'll not go,' he exclaimed. 
If that is what he wants, I'll stay at home with you. You are too good, Tom. I suspect I am silly, but it seems so wicked. Now you had better call him up. When Tom got upstairs, he placed the receiver to his ear. Telephone. Number. Tom. Give me seven eleven, please. Seven double one. Yes, please. Tom whistled while he waited. Telephone. Hello. Is that you, Evan? Yes. Hello, Tom. Say, Tom, I'm going to have a little bunch around here after a bit to see if we can't make our books balance, and I want you to come. And say, bring around that forty-five you took away with you last time. We want it. We are after you. We're going to strip you. Perhaps you'd better bring an extra suit in a case. I'm sorry, old man, but I can't come. Can't want? Can't come. Yeah, you're tightwad. You better come. Can't do it, Andy. I'm sorry. Are you going to the Tad Wellington dance? No, not that. Missus doesn't want you to go, but I simply can't come. Sarcastically. I guess the missus shut down this too. No, I'm tired. Well, maybe we're not tired of you taking money away from us. And now when we've all got a hunch that you're gonna lose, you get cold feet. No, I'd like to, but I just can't. Well, admit, like a man, it is the missus said no, and I'll let you off. Are you a man, reader? No, but I'm married. You win. Well, I'm sorry you can't be with us. Christmas will be coming along by and by, and you will need the money. I expect. Mrs. will want a present, and she ought to let you get a little more ahead. That's true. Well, so long. Toast your feet before you go to bed, and you better put a cloth around your neck. Hey, don't rub it in. It hurts me worse than you. All right. I know you're as sorry as we are. I know how it is. My missus will be home next week, and this will be the last one, so I want you to come. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, sigh. Wait a minute. I got an idea. Good. Use it. Wait now. Wait now. I'm thinking. Tom was trying to recall if he had closed the parlor door when he came upstairs. Yes, I think I did. Think you did what? Nothing. I wasn't talking to you. I was thinking. Sigh. Put your ear close to the telephone. I've got to talk low. Why, I've got to think right against my ear anyway. What are you talking about? Listen, this is the scheme. I come if I can. He whispered into the receiver. I don't think the missus wants to go to the Tad Wellington dance, and I'll work it so that I shall go alone. If I'll succeed, I'll be with you. What? What's that? I sigh, he repeated more distinctly. If Mrs. P. doesn't want to go to the dance, I'll try to go by myself, and shall be with you. You say that you and Mrs. P. are going to the dance. Oh, you deaf fool! No, I say that if she doesn't go to the dance, maybe I shall be with you. Oh, I understand you. Good. 
if you are as clever as you are at getting every one in against a pat full house you will succeed come early lucky to you good-bye if tom were right in thinking he had closed the parlour door he was considerably surprised and flustered to find it ajar when he came downstairs but mrs porter was still reading the evening paper and did not look as if she had been disturbed by the telephoning there was a slight flush on her cheeks however that he had not noticed before but that may have been caused by the noble sacrifice of his own wishes for hers i am glad tom you told him you could not come mrs porter said looking at him affectionately it is so good of you to give up to my little whims tom said mentally i guess she did not hear it at all at least i know she went on that i was brought up on a narrow plane and any sort of gambling seems wicked but at first you would not play cards at all and then you learned euchre all games of cards look a lot to me i suppose they do but euchre is a simple interesting pastime which is a scientific uh uh a mental exercise developing the mind and so forth while poker cheats people out of their money at least they lose money they ought to use otherwise or else they win some and then have ill-gotten gains which is worse but poker is a great nerve developer tom protested feebly but it's gambling well how about playing euchre for a prize oh we settled that a while ago mrs porter exclaimed i showed you the difference between the two didn't i i believe you did but don't you want to go to the third wellington dance no mrs porter said shortly did you send cards no you should have done so shouldn't you i suppose so but i don't care why don't you want to go i don't like mrs Tad wallington she wears her dresses too low maybe she does but i think we should be polite to her i don't care very much whether we are or not i think we ought to go or else he added in an afterthought with the expression of a martyr or else i ought to go and take your regrets well why don't you do that mrs porter exclaimed brightly all right i will he almost shouted i'll do it i think it's the decent thing to do i'll get ready right away right now why it's entirely too early it's only half past seven you can stay here until ten then go for a few minutes and be back by eleven no no that would not be nice that's not the way to treat people who have gone to the expense of giving a dance everybody should go early and stay alight oh absurd no it's decent i think i had better go early anyway and then i can get back earlier i don't want to stay up too late well if you insist go on tom went upstairs and began dressing hurriedly he knew he would not feel safe until he was a square away from the house if this was to be the last of this bully bachelor poker parties he did not want to miss it his wife was the sweetest little woman on earth and he delighted in being with her and humouring her but then a woman's view of life and things is often so different 
that there is a joyous relaxation in a man-party. If he could dress and get away before his wife changed her mind, all would be well. He put his clothes on feverishly, but before he had half finished he heard her running up the stairs, and his heart sank. She came with a step that indicated something important on her mind. He knew as well how she looked as if he could see her coming. She was humped over slightly, her head was down, both hands grasping her skirts in front, and her feet fairly glimmering at the speed she was coming. She burst into the room. "'Tom, I think I will go with you. It is mean of me to make you go alone.' "'You think what?' "'You can't. It's a man's party. Oh, you—you you know. No, it's not mean. I don't mind it a bit. I like to go alone. That is, I don't mind it, and I won't hear you putting yourself out on my account. And then, you know, Mrs. Tad Wallington wears her dresses so disgustingly low.' "'That's it, Tom. That's why I think I ought to go.' "'Oh, pshaw. You know I despise her. I'll never dance with her. No, I can't think of letting you go on my account. And I don't want my wife even to be seen at the party of a woman who wears such dresses as she does. No, positively, I can't permit it. Well, it's as bad for you to go. But one of us has to go to be decent. It would be rude not to, and we cannot afford to be rude even to the commonest people. I don't want you to go unless I go with you she said pettishly. "'But I never dance with her.' "'It is not that so much. I do not want us to recognize her at all. I am not going to even speak to her. I will snub her. I will walk by her and not see her. I will let her know that my little wife doesn't belong to her class. I'll show her.' "'But, Tom, wouldn't that be ruder than not going all?' "'Oh, no.' I don't think so. By going and snubbing her, it shows that you are confirming to all the laws of politeness without conceding anything to wanton improperty. Don't you see? Hardly. Well, it does, and I have to go for business reasons. I have her husband's law business and can't afford to lose it by not going. Wouldn't it make her husband angry for you to snub her? Oh, no, it will rather please him. He's inclined to be jealous, and likes the man better who don't have anything to do with her. It would strengthen our business relations immensely. Maybe you are right, she added with the resignation. You lawyers are such peculiar arguments that I can't understand them. Yes, I know. Law is the science of reasoning of getting at the fine, subtle points by which other people cannot see. "'Well, go, if you really think it's best,' she said at last. Tom tied a black bow around his collar and put on his tuxedo. "'Oh, Tom, what do you mean? You surely do not intend to wear your tuxedo and a back tie. I heard you say it was the worst of form at anything but a man's party.' Oh, uh, did I? Well, maybe I did. I had forgotten. I became a little confused by a long argument. I'm always confused after an argument. Would you believe it? The other day, after an argument in court, I put on the judge overcoat when I came away, and did not notice it until I got to the office. 
You think I had better wear a long coat and a white tie? Of course, I want you to be the best-dressed man there. I don't want you to look as if you were at a smoker. Tom wheeled toward his wife, but she was digging in a drawer for his white tie and may not have meant anything. Now, don't tell me you have none. Here is one fresh and crisp. You would not disgrace us by going to a dance dressed that way, she pleaded. I will do whatever you say, dear, Tom answered, with a trace of suspicion still in his eye. He put on his long coat and the tie, and when he kissed his wife adieu, she patted him affectionately on the cheek. It is good for you to go to this old dance and let me stay at home, she said, smiling sweetly at him. Have as good a time as you can, and be sure to see what Mrs. Harris wears. When Tom got into the street, he drew a long breath of fresh air, and then lighted a cigarette to quiet his nerves. I've got to go to that party for a few minutes, he said to himself, or I may get caught when I come back to take my examination tomorrow morning. I can't possibly make up a whole lot about dresses and then some woman might tell Ruth that I was not there. Let's see. He looked at his watch. It's nearly nine. Some people will be there. I can look them over and then take a few notes about the dressing room as I come away. Tom paused but a moment in the dressing room, where a few oldish men waited for their fat, rejuvenated wives, and some young stags smoked cigarettes until the buds could get up to the hall. The young Mrs. Tad Wallington received him with a gracious smile and inquired for Mrs. Porter. "'A blinding headache,' said Tom. She was determined to come until the last minute, but then had to give it up. The old Mr. Tad Wallington took one hand from behind his back to give it to Tom, and for a moment almost lost that tired, married-to-a-young-woman look. "'How are you, Tom? Did you find out anything about the Barnesville business?' Can you leave you on Harmon's property? I haven't looked any further, but I still think you can. Call me up as soon as you find out. Tom was pushed away by a large wife with a little husband whom the hostess was presenting to Mr. Tad Wallington, and this couple was followed by an extremely tall man who had apparently become stoop-shouldered, talking to his very small wife. Tom sidled around where he could see the people as they came and began making mental notes. Mrs. Tad Wallington, dressed in a kind of silverish flowered, brocaded, I guess, stuff, with a bunch of white carnations, no, little roses, blonde hair done up with a kind of a roach that loops over at one side of her forehead. There are our namesakes, the John Porters. Mrs. John has a banana-colored dress with a sort of mosquito netting all over it. She's got one red rose pinned on in front. There are the three long sisters, one pink, one white, and one blue. Pink and white are fluffy goods, but Ruth will not care how girls are dressed. It's the woman. Here's a queen in black. Who is it? Oh, Lord, I am sorry I saw her face. It's Mrs. May. The Irish waterwoman, as Ruth calls her. And who's the Cleopatra with the silver snake around her arm, and the silver dew funnies around her waist? Oh, Bess Smith! 
I'm getting so many details. I'll have them all mixed up the first thing I know. Let me see. Who had on the red dress? Ting, I've forgotten. i better write them down. He got a card from his pocket and began writing abbreviated descriptions on it. Mrs. R. S. T. R. P. S. L. K. Mrs. J. J. White. H. of a long train. S. M. Small b r t. Mrs. Jones. With. He filled up two cards and then slipped to the dressing room and away. Solomon could not beat that trick. I can tell sweetheart more than she would have found out herself if she had come. Now for something that's a little more fun. He chuckled at his cleverness as he stepped on a car to go the faster to his more fascinating party. And he chuckled the following morning as he dressed. They were going to strip me, were they? he said to himself as he pulled a small roll of bills from the west pocket of his dress suit. Well, not quite. Let me see. I had nineteen dollars with me. Now I have five, ten and ten are twenty, and five are twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, and two are thirty, thirty-one, and some change. That's not stripping anyway. He laughed again as he pulled two cards from his pocket and saw his memoranda of dresses. Good thought. I better read them over for the morning paper may contain some description, and I like to make good. Mrs. Patton, W-H-T-S-L-K, white silk. Mrs. Moll, D-T. D-T? What does D-T stand for? D-T? I can't think of anything but delirium tremens, but that's not it. D-T, dark, dark. Dark what? Dark trout, no. Dark tresses? No, not that either. Dark trousseau? Hardly that. She's just married, but she didn't have her whole trousseau on. Dark... Search me, I don't know. Mrs. B. Mrs. Brown. L.D. Long dress? Laundress? No. Lavender dress, I remember. This cipher is worse than one in the gold bug. I wish I'd written it out some of the things he could interpret and some he could not but he could remember none when he took his eyes away from the card he found his wife waiting for him in the breakfast room dressed in a blue tea-gown and she looked so charming that he could not refrain from taking two kisses from her red lips she put her arms around his neck and took one of them back again how are you this morning did you have a good time at the dance oh so so Tom answered. I'll hear better. Breakfast is ready. Now tell me all about it while we eat. Well, it was just like all others. Some people there dressed about the same. I was in hopes you would read about it in the morning paper and let me off. That would give you a better account of it than I can. But I want to hear about it from your point of view. Did anything of any special importance happen? Whom did he dance with? There was a sharp questioning look in Mrs. Porter's eyes that Tom, if he noticed it at all, took in a masculine way to indicate a touch of jealousy. No, nothing of any note. I danced with about the same people I do usually. Mrs. De Bruler, I think. 
you think that's complimentary to her how was she dressed o r mentally b l s l k blue silk or black silk which was it aloud blue silk i think blue silk my she oughtn't to wear blue what's that card you have in your hand your program yes i wanted to see whom else i danced with oh let me see mrs porter exclaimed well it is that is i was just looking for my program i can't find it must have lost it oh that's too bad i wanted to say it did you dance many dances no not many just a few people we are under obligations to how late did you stay mrs porter asked as she passed him his second cup of coffee about midnight i think oh where were you after that you didn't get home until after one mamma this coffee's hot one did you say one the clock must be striking half past eleven no no i'm sure it was after one because i lay awake for a while and heard it strike two might be you are right i did not look but lots of people were still there when i left do you like the two-step better than the waltz yes i do but that was on sunday after twelve o'clock weren't you ashamed to dance on sunday the waltz is to the two-step what the minuet is to the jig don't you think so now young mrs black is a splendid waltzer next to you she is about the best well i do not care to be compared to her and i hope you didn't dance with her she divorced and married again and not twenty-four yet i don't see as much harm in a young woman being divorced as an old one i do they ought to live together long enough to know if their troubles are real hers were i always thought mr hughes was really nice did you find your program no i must have lost it they rose from the breakfast table and went arm in arm to the sitting-room they divided the morning paper and sat in silence for a while tom went over the first page read the prospect for war between russia and japan then the european dispatches and then came to the page with the city news he glanced carelessly over it seeing little to attract him by and by his eyes returned to a column that he had passed because calamites did not interest him something about an explosion when he came to it the second time his eyes fell on one of the subheadings and it made him catch his breath he read the headlines from the top great heavens he said to himself and shot a glance at his wife from the corner of his eyes lord am i in for it the heading that he saw was terrific explosion at a ball panic barely averted mrs tad wallington's dance interrupted fire ensued but no great damage done many of the women fainted he then read the article through to see if there was any loophole but found that the explosion had occurred perhaps before he was five squares away about a quarter of ten in fact and he had admitted to his wife that he had stayed there until late at night she mustn't see this page he said to himself i must get it out of here and burn it he glanced at his wife again she was reading her sheet interestedly he separated the part that contained the city news and was preparing to smuggle it from the room under his coat 
here's the account of the dance she exclaimed looking up and you need not tell me any more the what the dance and i can read all did we get two papers this morning tom stammered feeling cold about the heart no i have the society sheets and it tells me what everybody wore why what is the matter with you tom you look sick you're not sick are you tom she asked rising and coming over to him no no i'm not sick i'm all right go on and read the description of the dresses that will relieve me more than anything else i'll not have to think it all up oh but you look sick i am not i am i never was so well see how strong i am i can crush that piece of paper up in a very small ball with my bare hands i am awfully strong ah don't do that there might be something in that that i want to read no there isn't there's nothing in it i read it through i have an idea i'll tell you what let's do let's burn the paper and i'll tell you what the woman wore these society notes are written beforehand and are not authentic the only way is to have it from an eyewitness let's do it will ya no i'd rather read it aren't you sick tom what makes your brow so damp it's so hot it's infernal hot in here i thought it was rather cold i saw you shiver a moment ago tom you are sick you must have eaten too much salad last night you know you can't eat salad i didn't touch any salad i only ate a frankfurter and drank a highball a frankfurter and a highball why what sort of refreshment did they have i i didn't mean that i meant a canary bird sandwich and a glass of water i know what it is then tom you inhale a lot of the smoke tom took a long hard look at his wife what he almost screamed at last ah sir you have inhaled too much smoke you have been smoking too much oh that yes i expect i have she looked at him with a twinkle in her eye as she sat on the arm of his chair holding to the back with her hands tom i'll bet you are a great hero i'll bet i'm not i'll bet you are and too modest to admit it too modest to admit what too modest to admit the heroic things you have done i never did any yes yes you did i know you say two or three people laughs at the risk of your own i haven't any medals but you must have done something brave and that's why you didn't tell me about the explosion tom did not answer the machinery of his voice would not turn the power ran through his throat like cogwheels out of gear my dear sweet brave modest husband ah i'm not all of that yes you are you are the bravest man there how many fainting women did you rescue oh not many think only five or six did you inhale much of the flame and smoke yes i think i must have inhaled some but i did not notice it until now was the smoke very thick awfully thick in places and you walked right into it i had to there wasn't any way to ride ride i mean i walked into the smoke i don't know what i'm saying you must be right i am sick 
how brave my husband is how proud i am of him and not only brave but skilful how did you manage to get through the smoke and flame and get no odor of smoke from your clothes nor the smart in front of your shirt i don't know dear i did not have the time to notice i was too busy ah my hero i am proud of you did you win or lose did i what did you win or lose tom took another look in her innocent blue eyes which she repeated ruth what have you been doing to me aren't you ashamed of yourself don't i look it end of evan anderson's poker party recording by christine g in oslo norway the tenth of december two thousand and eleven